Now encoding transmission. Transmission encoding completed. Have you often found yourself wondering about the unsolved mysteries and weirdness that surround them all? Now, I'm not saying it's definitely aliens, but it's definitely aliens. You're listening to Three Girls, One Cape. Can you handle the truth? Yeah, seriously. Yeah, hopefully, day by day. Yeah, day by day. Hopefully, yeah, you're being constructive. I know that uh, mm-hmm. Vanessa and I, as Gemini's, we are flourishing right now in this yes. uh, quarantine. <laughs> I've been extra crafty, um, not very physical, which I need to get. You know, need to do that. But Mario, you know, I've been doing what I can. I've been thinking about changing my room around. Nice. Yeah, it's always but, nice to come come home and have, you know, a, a good setup to come to. Yep. Yep, and then me and my bum-ass Pisces self is just wallying around, ready to uh, yep. I know. How are you enjoying this power coming from... As Gemini is ruling the North Nodes right now. Girl, I am feeding it up. During this intense period where we have three planets in retrograde. Oh my seriously. As we go into (laughs) this 18 month period of cycles basically being ruled by Gemini. Right. (laughs) Oh, I'm ready for it, baby. Break it on. I'm your host, Rachel Clovis. I got my girl, V. Yeah. My sister yeah. from another mister. And then I have my actual sister from the same mister, because we share father. And yes. that's Miss Mara Rose. Hey, y'all. How's it going? I like how you kind of start in that southern twang. Oh, baby. Yeah. I was in Virginia for two years, but I'll never lose a southern twang. <laughs> I just think of Paula D and I'm like, oh, oh sweet child, let me get you Ooh. some biscuits and gravy. Oh, come here, honey. Let's just add some butter. <laughs> I hope you don't mind that I added the whole pound of butter. Oh my God. <laughs> because I'm about to put in another stick. <laughs> yeah. You can never have too much butter. Butter. <laughs> I love there's like a Paula Dean mean where she's like, it's uh, Regina Jordan. She's like, is butter a carb? And then it's Paula Dean and her eyes are fire. And it's like, butter is everything. <laughs> my favorite, my favorite uh, Paula Dean one has actually been the one where it is Polly Shore and it's him as Polly Dean. Oh God, that sounds terrifying. And they're gonna be reason the gym. Oh, that sounds God. amazing. Oh my God, this is my favorite I'm gonna, one. I'm I love gonna it. Google it after. I'm gonna. Oh, you don't have to Google it, baby girl. I'm about to send it to you right now. Oh, perfect. <laughs> you know the because recipe that sits out in my to. mind for Paula Dean is her lobster shooters. You see that she just like, like melted like six or eight sticks of butter and like made these lobster sti- lobster shooters. So 
it was filled with clarified butter, and then the lobsters were already cooked in butter, and then she just puts in a shot glass, and she's like, I love doing shots, she goes, oh, Oh, Paula Dean. All right, well, let's get down to business and talk some urban legends. Yeah, guys. I also sent you some Polly Potton. (laughs) Some spooky urban legends slash haunted stories slash paranormal phenomenon, etc. In the wonderful state of yes. Massachusetts. Massachusetts. I like how we you said yes, Massachusetts, but I said massive two shits. <laughs> but it did sound like Massachusetts. It did. It was very close. Oh, and I'm the one over here oh, saying we all got we all got our own little we only, things. We all had our own little cute iterations. <laughs> we all got those little quirks. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, I mean, hey, like, you gotta stay green, you know? Gotta gotta keep it clean, gotta yeah, stay, stay green. Better. I agree, 100%. So, we did a little bit of research, and we gathered that there are a decent number of urban legends, freak phenomenon, UFO sightings, yep. Bigfoot sightings, Etc. that have taken place in Massachusetts. And we decided to pick a few of them. Um, You know, we did the Urban Legends one previously, and we're going to start with the Hoosack Tunnel, which was the number one urban legend for Massachusetts, or like Mm. the most known um, urban legend. Well, it's right up there, you know. Um. Especially yeah. since over 200 people died during the construction of it in the mid-19th century. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, I'm That's sure crazy. there'd be quite a few, uh, you know, spooky things and paranormal activity Absolutely. taking place in such an area. And, you know, with what, it, you know, any structures also where there's like stone or anything involved, like, I just naturally feel a lot of things would just be attached to it, especially if they helped construct the damn thing and died in it. Well, yeah, most certainly, because a lot of, um, well, not a lot of, all of these people died in, uh, you know, different circumstances when the construction of the Hoosack Tunnel was taking place. Um and for people who aren't familiar of where the Hoosack Tunnel is located or why they had built the Hoosack Tunnel in the first place, it was to connect Boston and New York City through a train tracks, obviously. Um, but it is, the Hoosack Tunnel is located in North Adams, Massachusetts. Yep, and it runs all the way to Florida. Yep, it does. Wow. Yep. Um, it's also Nick. Well, not the, well, not the tunnel, yeah. but the... <laughs> <laughs> the railroad itself. The rail, the rail, yeah. Um, the rail. But the tunnel is also nicknamed the Bloody Pit because of the amount of people that died during the construction of it. Sounds like an appropriate name for that. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. And Hoosack is actually um, an Algonquin word that's used for, um, or the, the word meaning uh, place of stone. So that's where that mm-hmm. comes from. Yep. So, um,. <clears throat> But, you know, those tales, like, uh, they talk about, like, sounds and 
all kinds of ghost sightings, and it's been going on for, I'd say, almost, almost 200 years. I think it's, like, halfway to, like, almost 200, because I think it's, like, at one, yep. I think it's actually, like, at 150, 150 something years or something. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's crazy, so, um, I know that we all did, you know, our own research on different topics, and, I'm sure that you, when you were going over this, uh, found the information about how um, there was a miner and there was like a tunnel collapse and it ended up trapping all of, um, well, first we'll start off with um, Mr. Ringo Kelly. Mm -hmm. And he set explosives off too early, killing two of his co-workers or co-miners that were working in the tunnel that day. Over the next couple weeks, or the next couple days, um, he became more and more convinced that there were, like, ghosts following him, or he was seeing things, and um, several, he ended up going missing, and several days later, they ended up finding his body very close to where the two men died, which was, like, about two miles inside of the tunnel. Mm. And the local sheriff concluded that Kelly had been strangled by one of his colleagues in revenge of the deaths, but nobody was, uh, but nobody was questioned about the murder for the rest of the workers. They also reported seeing ghostly shadows and figures in the tunnel um, just about when this whole incident happened. And they're saying that, um, you know what I mean, if there aren't true sightings, then it's pretty much like, I guess, you know, the the darkness playing tricks on your eyes at that yep. point. Yep. That one, that one definitely happened. So on October 17th, 1867, 13 men descended into the tunnel's central shaft, not knowing of the terrible disaster that was in store for them that day. The 13 workers were constructing the central shaft to vent ventilate the complete tunnel. There was a building that sat atop of the shaft that contained mostly flammable materials such as oil, gasoline, kerosene, power lamps, and other, other explosive devices that would be lowered down to the shaft as needed. A spark set off an explosion in the building, and as expected, the building quickly was engulfed in flames. Uh, there were four men inside the building that had to evacuate, and unfortunately, they did not have time to bring up the workers from the shaft that was nearly 600 feet deep. Uh, they tried to extinguish the fire, but soon after it started, the building collapsed, leaving the men trapped below or showered down with rigging equipment, mining tools, and other debris from the explosion. In the days following, Thomas Mallory was lowered into the central shaft several times to look for survivors. Before he took his first trip, though, he made a will in case he didn't make it back alive. On one of the trips, he actually had passed out because of the lack of oxygen that was Mm -hmm. in the tunnel. And he uh, stated that there's no way that anybody could have survived down there because of the lack of oxygen. So with no working pumps for air, um, the shaft soon filled with water and sealed the fate of any miners who have uh, who might have survived the explosion, or so they thought. It would be a year later before they would be able to 
go into the shaft again where they did find the were some of the bodies of the workers they had in there and they had actually survived with a makeshift raft they would float atop the flood waters but they did uh most definitely die from asphyxiation from the lack of oxygen that was in there mm-hmm. I know it's crazy. They ended up so with all this going on, they're still trying to build the tunnel and they ended up hiring this man named Paul Travers was they pretty much were like, uh, you need to look. He was like a colonel or something in the military. And they're like, you mm-hmm. need to look into this because all these people, we can't get them to work. And like, we need to finish this tunnel. And he actually ended up siding with the workers, saying, I haven't been this frightened since the Battle of Shiloh, in which he wrote in his findings. Oh, wow. So, like, <laughs> obviously something scared this guy who is, like, a seasoned war yeah, uh, veteran. Yeah, that cannot be explained, man. Um, in 1874, a hunter named Frank Webster vanished near the Hoosack Tunnel, um, a search party found him three days later in a state of sock. He said that he heard strange voices that ordered him into the tunnel and ghostly figures gathered around him and invisible hands took his hunting rifle and beat him over the head with it. Jesus. And that's where they found him um, was in the tunnel. Very interesting. Very interesting. Wow. Um, that... That that's something that like oh goodness I'm so stoned. <laughs> uh. <laughs> but yeah, the I mean in so in conclusion, the Huzak Tunnel took yeah. over twenty five years to build, and two hundred people lost their lives building this tunnel that brought people back and forth all the time from Boston yeah. to New York City and mm-hmm. further now because they've extended the railway, like Vanessa said. Yeah, that's just you insane. Know, yeah, it, it's just sad, obviously, because mm-hmm. they didn't have, um, you know, I mean, even still to this day, trying to get through, you know, mountains, but it's just yeah. amazing that they were able to even you well, know, do anything. Well, mining's still a dangerous job, and, you know, especially with, you know, back then. Right, exactly. There were more risks involved. All right, and do you want to continue yes, on, so Mara? And with that, I am going, she has patching, passing the torch to me. And I am going to be talking about B.B. Woods. Now, I know you guys have your experiences in B.B. Woods. If you want to share just maybe oh, a juicy little detail about you know, your own findings <laughs> or your ghost adventure. There's so many. <laughs> I think my one of my biggest memories or like one of the craziest experiences that I had in B.B. Woods was um, one of our friends had brought in along a night vision camera. And, um, you know, if you take like your camera and you face it towards like a screen, it makes yeah. those lines, mm-hmm. um, yeah. so that it's like a distorted picture. Well, that kept happening. So you would like look at somebody's face and then it would be fine down the path. But once you moved into the woods, oh, wow. it like would distort it. And then it ended up just dying after it was fully mm. charged and we had only used it for maybe maximum like 30 minutes oh wow so and it had a battery of and then he charged it up the next day and he said that it worked fine so you know definitely uh weird no uh, 
Um, did you guys spend the night? We, or was that another Yeah, we no, have been in Beebe Woods okay. plenty of times. I mean, we've times, spent many other nights uh, in Beebe Woods. I have to say the things that always stood out for me in Beebe Woods was how much um, interaction you got when you went there um, is what has always made me want to always look into everything more. And from like my findings, it's like, I feel that like some of my experiences that I've had and like the firsthand contact that I've had, like paranormal experiences there, it's definitely just, I, I can't believe, I still can't believe that they really built those those structures there, the uh, the the new con- complexes that they mm. have there. Uh, yeah. It's just like with with how how much is on that land itself. It's in the soil. It's it's a part of that land. Like any of the energies that are mm. there, like you know, there's a lot of grievance in BB Woods. Right. Well, yeah, because it's not just the, you know, the BB family Mm -hmm. that, you know, had misfortune there. It goes, like you said, back to the land, you know, back to the Native Americans. Yes, yes. It's like you can sense the natives and, you know, which, of course, I hope that eventually we will be able to bring it to the show one day and investigate it thoroughly so where we can have a definite answer on this. But I have had encounters with a child in BB Woods, a spirit yep. of a, like uh-huh. a child. Um, yeah, some so, or somebody that's very playful. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting. It just yes, it. I feel like. I feel like they're they're very innocent. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's definitely um, a combination of maybe not necessarily like light and dark. But, I mean, there's definitely, I think there's, um, you know, definitely some good souls that are there if they are, you know, trapped there or whatever mm-hmm. you end up believing. Yeah. Yep, there definitely is. There's definitely an innocent one that just, like, I feel like, I feel like it is very, I feel like it is a child. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are others that I feel are more Native American because I feel like they're watching. It's the sense of, like, something watching yeah, there, you. Yeah, there's only something's going to happen to you if you do something that is disrespecting the, yeah, yeah. Exactly. their land or, um, there, you know. There's definitely something that feels like that within there. And then there's um, a lot of... I feel like there's a lot of lost spirits, mm-hmm. ones that are very sad. They're very, they very, is a lot of grievance in the right. woods. Well, I mean, if you think about it, like it is in Falmouth, Falmouth is yes. on the ocean. So there's a lot of death that comes with the sea, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but that's. Something that's always stood out to me mostly with BB Woods and a part mm. of a reason why I respectfully will discuss it. Um, but I also try to make sure 
that every single time whenever I do go there, if I am doing anything there, that I am showing as much respect as possible. No, that's right. good. Well, that's every every uh, place that you go mm-hmm. to, if you're whether you're investigating, yes. whether you're just going there to experience, you should always, A, make sure that you are respecting the mm-hmm. land, the property. Being mindful. Yeah, being mindful. And also, at the same point, protecting yourself to make sure that nothing yes. is following you or coming back with you or you're not sending the right um you know or the wrong signals i should be saying Um, especially because people who you know are empaths or sometimes they um you know open themselves up to other things that necessarily um you know not saying regular people don't have to deal with but you Mm -hmm. know you know what i mean if if you know then you know yeah absolutely it's like if you're going to go there just be respectful and be mm-hmm. mindful of what you do and say. And I think that's the amazing thing about BB Woods is that, you know, just the Native American aspect and origin to have like its own episode on here. And uh, with the BB family, it seems that sort of, you know, a lot of the spiritual um, experiences or phenomenon there kind of started with them like when James Beebe built the house in the 1870s Uh there was Highfield Hall and then there was uh, Tanglewood which was an adjacent mansion and it was surrounded by the gardens and and then you know you had uh, Mary Louisa who was James daughter and she died in her 40s after suffering from cancer and that's where one of the main sightings of B.B. Wood is, is of her ghost. Apparently, workers and any like visitors have seen her in the second floor bedroom, just staring out either at them or peering over the gardens. And then... Um, Which they do have beautiful gardens. Yes. Yes. And you should spend your money to get married there because I would, but we're poor, so... <laughs> And then there is that, do you guys remember the bodily remains that they uncovered there in 2014? Uh, No, I actually forgot totally about that. So apparently um, there was a man who went missing in July. And then in June, uh, I apologize, in August, they found the body remains of an undisclosed individual. Obviously they didn't know, you know. Uh, when they found it, but then it was later revealed to be that very same person, and he was from Falmouth. Uh, let me just double check on his name. His name is uh, Gerald Farley, and he had been yep, missing since July, but they said that there is no foul play indicated. Interesting. Yes. And, um, you know, we're, uh, as we continue, because I know that Vanessa's done some research mm-hmm. on B.B. Woods as well, because, you know, there is a lot of um, not necessarily um, like dark energy, but there is something um, mm-hmm. that is very ominous. Um, yes. That's the location. And if you do go there at night, um, you know, you'll definitely... Feel it even during the day. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. People, you people say that they feel weird, like they're always being watched, or um, you know, other 
phenomenon. <clears throat> yes. After phenomenon. after a while, because we did go there quite a bit, I didn't want to go there anymore because I felt that we were overstaying our welcome. Oh wow! At, like um a few times, like towards the end, like when we were going regularly all the time. Right. I felt like we were starting to overstay our welcome. And, like, I felt like there was something that was like, all right, like, you know we're here, but, like, enough is enough. Like, get out of here. Right. Like, stop. Like, enough is enough. You already know. It's like, it's almost like they were, like, giving us a boot and being like, all right, you already know that we're here, so let us be. Yeah, right. Well, exactly, because to an extent, it almost became disrespectful, um... You know what I mean? Like, I know Mm -hmm. that I'm not always the most, especially when I was younger, I didn't really take um, certain things seriously. And sometimes you do things that you regret and you might do a salt circle out of the salt circle and then tell the ghost that they can eat off your friend and then he feels really sick. Yeah. Um, But... You know what I mean? Like, obviously, you you live and you learn. <laughs> yeah. And we we did survive, and nothing um, nothing has ever attached itself from that. That was something I was always really very good about when we were leaving there. Yeah. And I remember Most definitely. always. definitely. Just because, you know, sometimes lost souls do look for... There's, there could be something, you know, as simple as just the way you look or your energy or mm-hmm. something like that. You know what I mean? That mm-hmm. um, a spirit finds that there's like that little light. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, you know, that's what I remember saying that to myself quite a few times. And always having a lot of jade with me and turquoise. Um, and, um with me for those for those specific reasons yes yeah yes. or you can um talk to your local witch and they'll make you a uh protection uh oil which i happen to make so so continuing on to you know or continuing as i should say down cape cod we have the Black Flash of Providence Town. I know that this was really interesting to me because it has to do with a similar event that took place, or like it's actually taking place in many places, but most commonly um, known as Spring Hill Jack, which took place over in England. Mm. Um, if you want to take the lead, Vanessa, on this one, and then I'll fill in the details. Mm. Two adult men were reported being assaulted by a figure they described as over eight feet tall, clothed in black, and usually, like, very thin, kind of almost like a Slenderman figure. Other sightings of the mysterious man include accounts that he could leap over high fences. The sightings abruptly stopped in December of 1945, um, but they started in October 26th of 1939. Right. Some people, yeah, like, it, you know, there were um, 
cabin fever, like, you know, there was a hard winter, you know, so, like, you know, so a lot of this, people were like, oh, like, maybe it's just people just going, you know, nutsy cuckoo. Yeah, just, like, letting their imagination kind of get yeah, the best of them. You know, but the Black Flash had been, you know, like, was giving people nightmares, you know, because they were hearing stories about, like, Black Flash, like, going into people's beds, like, grabbing women, jumping over 10-foot hedges with no trouble at all, um, chair springs on his high feet, you know, like, with the way that they would describe this Slenderman creature, like. Yeah, because, like, essentially the Black Flash, uh, was kind of like this bizarre energy uh energy entity um that people um a lot of people did encounter many times but it was actually mostly um encountered by children mm-hmm. which i have like a weird theory about but i'll finish this that um so he lurked around providence town jumping out at people and laughing maniacally and eluding pursuit with extreme agility and speed Like Vanessa said, witnesses would usually report seeing a black flash in one location, and then a minute later, another report would come in across the town seeing another black flash. Yeah. Um, And then I have actually... Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, a lot of the children that were always reporting seeing it were seeing it leap out from, like, the dunes. Right, and that's why it was called the Devil of the Dunes, if you will. Mm-hmm. I have a couple different accounts. Um, I have one, like a quote saying um, of an actual account that somebody was describing, and they said, black, all black with eyes of balls of flames. He was big, real big, maybe eight feet tall. He made a sound, a loud buzzing sound, like a June bug on a hot day, only louder. He disappeared like a flash. And then there's another account from a Miss Costa who was walking by town hall at the time. And an inhumanly tall figure dressed in all black jumped out in front of her from the bushes. He had glowing blue eyes, big silver ears and the agility to jump like a gazelle. Costa yeah. ran into a coffee shop screaming, and several men ran down Commercial Street looking for the apparition, but found nothing. The police uh, apparently chuckled after taking a statement from the visibly shaken Miss Costa because it was obviously such a ridiculous thing, um, you know, and that's why a lot of people attribute this to being just like a... Um, side effect of like cabin fever like Vanessa said mm. and then you know what's interesting you said you, uh, some of your reports had said it had glowing red eyes yep see and I have some um I have some things that a woman uh, Maria Costa yep that was Miss Costa the one I just read that she, they said they had blue eyes mm-hmm so yeah. yeah, there's a lot of different like where some people say that it was blue, some people even say green or gold, but also it could just be maybe the light or the way that it's reflecting if it is, you know what I mean? Yeah, um, the creep the creepiest part for the black flash for me was the reports of the maniacal laugh. Right. Exactly. That it supposedly had almost like if it was taunting those 
that were running away from after seeing it and it, that it like echoed after them and they couldn't tell where it was coming from because it would sound like it was behind them. Right. Then it would sound like it was next to them. Then it would sound like it was in front of them and they couldn't see anything, but they could hear it. Right. Um, into the theories. So they there's been reports that the police chief at the time, Anthony uh, Tavers, claimed that the Black Flash was simply four teenagers playing a trick on the town. One boy sat on the other boy's shoulders and then they wore a long cape um, and they had a flower sifter over their face. Um, the device device handles were large silver ears that victims reported. So pretty much they were saying they had like on um, some type of like silver mask that that was like something that they were reporting. But my theory that, you know, if it wasn't teenagers and this happening to um, necessarily women and children is very interesting because it goes back to kind of that like um children are more inept to see into like possibly the spirit realm so like it's kind of interesting that mm-hmm. or at least interesting to me that you know ch- mostly children were witnessing this at the time mm-hmm. it makes me think of all these movies you know where we have like these creatures like or uh, what was that? Was that sinister one? That was mm-hmm. yeah. That one where like you know with the this boogeyman character was seeing all the was all the kids could see him, and then uh, kids make the kids kill their entire family. I mean, of course, this isn't something that's happening here, but it is seemingly uh, to be focusing towards women and children, specifically children. Right. Um, if you, I'm trying to think of, do you want to, do you have anything that you want to do next, Mara? I can talk about George's Island. Sure. All right. So I think everyone here is familiar with George's Island. Either you went, you know, during summer vacation or you went on a school trip. It is one of Boston Harbor's islands. And back in the day, uh, let's verify the fort. It was, yep. Yeah. So Fort Warren, which was a Civil War era, Civil War era, was located on the island, and construction of the fort began in 1833. Then wrapped up about a year or so before the Civil War began, and soldiers would utilize it for training purposes. And Confederate officers and officials would be imprisoned there as well. The biggest ghost story. Or urban legend on George's Island is the Black Lady, the uh-huh. Lady in Black. Mm-hmm. Yes. So the story goes that there was a woman who was the wife. I just said the wife of a Confederate soldier, and she would received word that her husband had been captured and imprisoned at Fort Warren. So to save her husband, she posed as a soldier traveling from Georgia to Hull, Mass. And then uh, she rode to George's Island and she was able to get some of the Confederate soldiers who were on the island at the same time to help her reach him. But unfortunately, she was caught by a Union soldier and 
The goddamn Union soldiers. Soldiers. But even though she managed to get the upper hand on him, uh, uh, their scuffle caused the gun to just, you know, I'm so sorry. The the gun to go off, and then he the the shot ended up killing her husband. What? <gasps> yes, the tragedy of it all. And then as punishment, you know, because she's a woman, and what's she doing a firearm, right? Right. She, <laughs> she was. Women uh, aren't allowed to have guns. Those bitches. Her own property. You're only allowed to have a beta. Anyway, so as punishment, um. She was forced to be hunted for her crimes. Her last request was that she wear something feminine. But obviously, it's a fucking island full of soldiers. Like, so we're not going to have much in the that category. Except for a black robe that she wore. And its legend says that she still roams the grounds of George's Island while wearing that, uh, while wearing that robe. And... There have been, over the years, uh, there have been um, soldiers, workers, you know, little dipshit kids being like, ah, I saw the lady in black. But there is some skepticism about the story because one of the more popular versions that was uh, that was composed by Edward Rowe, and he provided specific details such as their names and whatnot, they believe that it was fabricated, but the thing is that there's been so many sightings that, you know, before this whole thing, you know, before, like, his own version came out, so it's, you know, I mean, it, anything could be, anything could be possible. Uh, just so everybody knows on a side note that if you hear farting noises when we're, we're listening to this, it's actually the yoga ball that I'm sitting on because we don't have another chair. <laughs> so, moving forward. Yes. Um, George's Island is definitely, I mean, I've been to George's Island. It's Mm -hmm. spooky shit. It was Um, a lot of fun, though. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely fun, but it's definitely, I mean, I feel like any fort, obviously, because, like, Mm -hmm. you know, people died there, like, obviously. You know what I mean? Like, it's a fucking war fort, obviously. People are going to be dying in and around it, unless it's not a very good war fort. Absolutely. Well... And, you know, it was used up until, like, World War Two, and then it was decommissioned in 1947. Interesting. Very mm-hmm. interesting. <clears throat> you have anything else nope, about that's, George's uh, Island? that pretty much sums up my thoughts on George's Island. Sad love story, but, you know, good for tourism. Eh? Yeah, yeah, speaking eh? of something else that's good for tourism, we're going to talk about... The Dover Demon, which <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar, but it's one of the, uh, the more alien-like cryptids, I guess, mm. would be the best way to uh, describe this. Um, the Dover Demon is a small humanoid reported from Dover, Massachusetts. It is the subject of an intense, uh, scare during the 1970s. Multiple witnesses came forward with their stories of the creature all with the same characteristics the dover demon was described as looking sort of like a gray which is a variety of alien except the skin is more of a rosy orange color with a large head with a stick-like body 
um, can be bipedal but often travels on all fours or switches back and forth between two mode the two modes of travel. It has eyes that glow sometimes orange, sometimes green, often seen in a crop top that says come slut or daddy's little monster. Oh my god. um so the these are the sightings so they're pretty much like what makes this case so um interesting to me or peculiar or like so fascinating to so many people is actually um that you know this only happened within like pretty much like a 48 to 72 hour period like that there were all these sightings and then just stopped Mm -hmm. um so the first uh sighting uh was at 10 32 p.m on april 21st as three 17 year olds bill bartlett mike manaz uh nasica Mazoki, Massacre, and Andy Brody are driving north on Fawn Street. Bartlett, who's behind the wheel of his Volkswagen, spots something creeping along a low wall of loose stones on the left side of the road. At first, he thinks the image is a dog or a cat until his headlights shine on it and he realizing, uh, realizing it's nothing that he's ever seen before. The figure slowly turns its head and stares into the light, its two large, round, glassy, lidless eyes shining brightly like two orange marbles, its watermelon-shaped head resting on top of a thin neck, its size, um, it, uh, blah, 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 blah. a thin neck is the size of the rest of its body except for its over oversized head. The creature is thin with long, spindly arms and legs, large hands and feet. The skin is hairless and peach-colored and appears to have a rough texture like wet sandpaper. Um, Bartlett tells cryptozoologist Lauren Coleman, Ooh, shout out Lauren Coleman, <laughs> standing, um, the figure was no more than three and a half to four feet tall. The figure is shaped like a baby's body with warm arms and legs it has been making its way along the wall its long fingers curling around the rocks when the car light surprised it unfortunately neither of bartlett's companions sees the creature the sighting lasts only a few seconds before bartlett can speak the car leaves the scene then the creature is gone and um he drops his friends off and goes down wall to his home visibly upset he walks through the door and asks his father what was wrong and then he tells him the story and he draws a um a picture of it which is like the very common picture that's seen and then another to- uh story is 15 year old john oh. baxter leaves his girlfriend kathy Cronin's house. Oh, John. He's only 15 years old. He's in his girlfriend's house. He died at home for George Lopez. Yeah. Um, Then Baxter starts walking up the street on his way home. Half an hour later, after he has walked about a mile, he observes something approaching him. Because the figure is short, Baxter assumes it's an acquaintance of his. um, Maybe a friend that lives on the street. John calls out to him with no response. Baxter and the figure continue to approach each other until finally uh, the latter stop. B- 
Baxter then halts as well and asks, who is that? The sky is dark and overcast and he can only see a shadowy form trying to get a better look. Baxter takes one step forward and the figure scurries to the left, running down a shallow wooded galley wow. and up the opposite bank. As the figure runs, Baxter hears its footsteps on the dry leaves. He follows the figure down the slope, then stops and looks across the gully. There he sees about he sees the creature standing in the silhouette about 30 feet away, its feet molded around the top of the rock several feet from the tree. The creature's body reminds Baxter of a monkey's except for its dark figure eight shaped head. Its eyes, two lighter spots in the middle of its head, are looking straight at Baxter, who after a few minutes began to feel uneasy, realizing he has never seen such a creature before and fearing what it might do to him next. He backs up carefully up the slope, his heart pounding, and walks very down, uh, fast down the road. There, a couple passing cars pick him, uh, or a couple passing in a car pick him up and drive him home. Oh, wow. So... That's creepy. Yeah, it's definitely a very, I mean, obviously, um, I don't know about you, but if I saw some weird yeah, ass thing go, in the middle of the night. I want to go pursuing it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I also am not going to get out of the car ever. Uh, to ex- that best. If, if I hit something or anything like that. Yes. Um. So in conclusion... So a lot of uh, skeptics claim that the Dover demon was actually a baby moose who was separated from its mother and maybe was sickly or injured that made it look like a humanoid um, that sometimes walked on all four legs. Although it was the wrong time of year um, that a moose would be able to survive in that Massachusetts is also outside of the moose's natural habitat. Um, also a lot of people argue that a baby orphan moose would have been easily captured and seen by more people. Others think that it could have been a misidentification from an escape exotic pet, such as a, um, monkey, or maybe it was just as simple as a sick dog, but you know what I think? It mm. was a fucking alien. I can see that. So of mine, Yeah. It sort of remind me of the Wendigo, like when I first saw the picture, like. Really? Yeah. No, I, like just a little. I don't know, like at least from like this video game. I mean, no, it's uh, it's cool either way. I mean, whatever you want to, you know. It's crucial. You want to be wrong, that's My own fine. little interpretation. <laughs> All right. I'm going to talk about Dogtown, um, which Dogtown has a regular haunted history itself um, being a ghost town um, of of Gloucester. Yeah, it's literally a uh, ghost town. Um, I think the formation of it is pretty fascinating. Um, And like the structures with all the stones that are uh, that Dogtown is known for uh, came from glacier meltings which is uh it's a very popular attraction for a lot of artists painters writers a lot of poets um have written there's been a number of poems written about dogtown and it's a very unique history but i want to talk about the witches 
of Darktown. Um, uh, this was, this happened around the time of the Revolutionary War, and, uh, the two women here, along with herself, like, she was considered the head, um, you have Luce George, Molly Stevens, Judy Rhines, and Peg Watson, um, and all of these women, uh, were suspected of witchcraft because of the... She, like of the ways that they went about their lives and they were wanderers that kind of just came there came way into the town and had just you know these at that time were unusual ways for women you know providing for themselves you know in the way that they did very independent um so um, right. mm -hmm. they would also say that she allegedly would bewitch the local oxen carrying supplies over the bridge, commanding them not to move until their owners paid her at a, a toll. Um, mm. uh, Luce George, who was Tammy's aunt, um, she supposedly cursed piles of wood on passing carts. Um, for the wood not to stay on the cart so that the portion portions of whatever people's goods they were carrying um, would end up being used by them. You know, they supposedly would have all these little tricks that they would say, oh, like it's because of those women that are living over there up on the hill, you know. And Peg Wasson was supposedly accused of flying around on a broomstick in 1921. Oh, well, I guess it probably was just because people's grains were tainted. Oh, yeah. I mean, they also said that she would turn herself into a black crow as well. Oh, interesting. I wish that I could do that in my free time. I would get along around a lot faster because, mm -hmm. you know... It's always better the way the crow flies, or whatever that saying is, crows before bros, whatever. Oh my god. Well, <clears throat> something that a soldier, because she was, because they assumed it was her, um, mm. his shoulder shot a crow dab with a silver sleeve button, right? Mm. And at the same time... Okay, so the legend has it, right? Wasson mm -hmm. fell down at home with an injured leg. Okay, oh. and a doctor extracted an identical silver button. Wow. Yes. So who knows, baby? She was a shapeshifter. That's Maybe, true. yeah, Where where she was, like, warging into, mm -hmm. um, you know, a different animal. Yeah. <laughs> also, I don't know if you know this, but when I was doing a little bit of research about Dogtown, because it's a definitely uh, a very interesting place, as we've, has a very interesting lore that goes around mm -hmm. with it. 
but also um i think that it would be a really cool place to do like a live show just because of yes. the obviously the um the buildings there the stone buildings and stuff like that um as you said it was beautiful but um in my research i saw that there's also been uh reports of like a big wolf that Ooh. protects the property or like a ghost um not not necessarily a skinwalker but like mm-hmm. um like a dog that you know protects the property mm. wow and on a side note a lot of one time when i actually went to dogtown mm-hmm. um we were walking in the woods and we heard something following us oh, and then uh one of the people that I was with was like, I'm pretty sure it's a dog because blah, 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 blah. And then I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. But sounded really big. But I mean, like, I'm also, like, not a fucking yeah. animal. <laughs> also, like, your paranoia yeah. is, like, kicking into high drive for drive with the Well, darkness. another thing, too, that's always reported um, from hikers, you know, because they said that... Um, a lot of hikers that get lost in Dogtown, they uh, this is, comes along with the lore of the witches, is that supposedly mm-hmm. they get so disoriented um, because they keep hearing echoes of oh, sounds like cackling women. Wow. Um, that is sounds like from all around it's the actually woods. just Vanessa and I <laughs> smoking a blunt in the forest or just women right yeah it's just us <laughs> <laughs> it's just us you guys <laughs> and the cackling <laughs> um but also in 1984 there was a brutal murder of a young teacher that occurred in Dogtown and that definitely didn't help the town's reputation no. either as um you know they along with this lore they say that just because of how the women were treated they cursed the um the residents there right and that's why there nobody lives mm-hmm. there anymore well not exactly why but i'm pretty sure like everybody um just it was a hard place yeah they believed that they tainted it and that they there's a evil evil energy that they claim that they Mm -hmm. all that these women possessed that is the reason a part of why they have left it abandoned the way they have right exactly Mm -hmm. yep Speaking of someplace that's actually very, very close to that. Yes. We have Danvers State Hospital, or as it was originally known as State uh, Lunatic uh, Hospital at Danvers. And this opened on May 1st, 1878, if my notes are correct. And they didn't receive their first lots of patients until May 13th so just had its birthday or celebration mm-hmm. and originally it was designed to handle treatment and the care of the mentally ill it was known as a pretty posh and lavish uh, mental hospital uh, during that time Massachusetts had um, ish- an issue with overcrowded hospitals and 
treating those who were mentally ill. And originally, they only had facilities that could accommodate comfortably 400 or so people. But, you know, as by the 1920s rolled in, like, there was, like, over 2,000 patients. And that's when things started to go downhill as... You know, I'm sure you guys have heard of it, but uh, there is a variety of mistreatment that took place that that took place at the hospital. Lobotomies were conducted there. Uh, you know, just the staff, you know, treated the patients horribly, and it was just uh, it was just a broken system. Yeah. And then yeah. By June 24th, 1992, uh, the hospital had closed due to budget cuts. Um. And then in 2006, it was sold to a real estate developer, and most of the building buildings were demolished, except for the administration building and its adjacent wings. And now it's been uh, developed as a seer, like uh, as these luxurious apartments in the building. And even before uh, the buildings were demolished, security was tight. Like uh, they said that. Like, hundreds of people would try to get in and, you know, conduct their own uh, ghost investigations, but, you know, that they would be caught or... So, and apparently there was one team who did manage to sneak into the hospital at night, but they never uh, report, they never shared their findings. And uh, the hospital has actually been a source of inspiration within... Um, and within literature and the entertainment history, it is said to have inspired H.P. Lovecraft's, Lovecraft's Arkham Sanatorium, which would go on to inspire Batman's Arkham Asylum. And so, yeah, so that is the history, short history of Danvers State Hospital. Yes, and it also, um, fun fact... The uh, original judge that yes, uh, I that I knew was her name something um was in charge of the Salem witch trials. His home was on the hill. Was built on the hill that Danvers State yes. Mental Hospital was built on, um, and that's why people some people tribute that it was destined to be um like a disaster because it was built on that property because. Mm. Obviously, he sentenced all, not just these women, but uh, men and women, um, you know, to death for the Salem witch trials. Yes, absolutely. And then they said that the haunting there is just so significant and profound because of all these tortured souls who died at the hospital. And they're just, you know, it was just horrible ends for all of them. And so they said that the haunting there is so profound that it for people who visit there it can influence their vision it can uh, make them make their fears come to life in a sort of way or yeah actually um there was a movie um yes vanessa you remember yeah it was a film in 2001 and actually Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then after that movie was released. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well now oh, uh, well now, that yeah, too. that there's are a lot of the tunnels are filled in. Um but Oh really? I thought they were 
yeah, that a lot of them, they have, like, completely, like, you, so there's apartments that you, that are there now, but before, when the first apartment buildings were there, they, like, mysteriously caught on fire and burned down, and then they, they, oh, what was I gonna say? Oh, yeah. And then just with that movie, like, you know, they had even more people trying to break in. And there is actually video footage of a security guard who used to patrol the grounds of the hospital. And the cemetery cemetery is still there, to my knowledge. So there's some footage of that, which if anyone's interested, it's on YouTube. Yeah. And um, another side note about... Uh, Danvers is that uh, a lot of the um, I'm trying. Oh, sorry, my it was because my finger was over my microphone again. <laughs> um, that um, the movie session nine um was actually like based on a real event where um this guy who was working at uh, Danvers State Mental Institution doing some work there. I can't remember if it was. Yeah, it was best fastest removal. A crew that was actually there to do that for the establishment. Um. Right. And then, yeah, he just, he ended up, he didn't end up killing all of the people. He just ended up going home and, like, Yeah, he killed, killed his, his wife and, and baby. Because, and then yeah. killed himself. But, I mean, obviously, still, obviously, not very, obviously, no. in the spoiler, um, but, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, but, but that movie. was yes. something that inspired the uh, creation of that film, um, you know, because a guy felt like he was you know basically when he went insane from whatever he whatever attached himself like uh, attached itself to him oh yeah most definitely because it was definitely dark energy i mean um i've gone to the underground tunnels there and it is really like there's I mean, now there's not necessarily, and I mean, who knows what actually is still open and stuff like that now, but there is a lot of, you know, files and, like, random equipment, wheelchairs, just random, pretty much shit from the hospital that was, like, strung out into, uh, you know, these tunnels and stuff like that, and then obviously there's a lot of um, I, I think our main, our main reason why they ended up, like, uh, filling in or making sure they sealed off a lot of these tunnels was because of, um, homeless people that were in them, and there was actually, like, people who were getting, like, would go into the tunnels and then get assaulted by homeless people, which is also always a, you know, thing that if you're into, actually going yeah, ghost hunting, Or if you're going into any of these abandoned establishments or places... You need to be mindful that, like, some of the things you're encountering may not necessarily be paranormal. They could just be homeless people. Right, exactly. So that's why you really need to make sure that you're... Taking... Um, being... Yeah, you're being safe and you're following... Necessary um, precautions. You know, 
and being smart. Right. You know. Right. Exactly. It's like you, as as much fun as it is, it's just better safe than sorry. Yeah. Right. Always. Always being safe rather than sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well. All right. So. Moving on, so I just want to touch on, I mean, obviously there's so many, um, you know, urban legends. urban legends and other things. Um, one of the other big ones, I feel like, um, when I was younger, this was always like, people are always like, oh, let's go to the spider gates, which, um, ironically enough, it isn't actually called the spider gate cemetery it's actually called friends friends cemetery um it's in uh leicester massachusetts good old leicester i got family in there yeah and so it's actually um like a really nice uh uh quaker cemetery It was settled in a woodlands near a like kettle pond and it the reason ended up being called the uh, spider gate cemetery is because it has these wrought iron gates in front of it. And a lot of people say that it looks like spiders and spider webs, but it actually is like an art deco representation of sun rays. Oh, wow. And... Um, so they have a lot of, uh, like, urban legends that have gone through this. And ironically enough, as you go through Spidergate Cemetery, there are other um, gates that you go through and you end up, um, like, going through each port or each level of hell. It's supposed to get, like, more intense as you go through each gate. But, um, unfortunately, there are no portals to hell in mm-hmm. Spidergate Cemetery. And it actually is just, like, a really cute gra- <laughs> graveyard that's, like, kind of set back into the woods. Mm. Um, yeah, you know, I don't think that it's really anything more than that. Um, you know, if you have any stories, though, let us know. Yes, because we uh, love to hear. We love to hear everything right. from... A lot of listeners, and uh, you know, it keeps us busy. That way, we're always able to uh, provide you guys with as much material as we can. Right, exactly. And if you are one of the satanic members uh-huh. that has rituals at Spider Gates uh, Cemetery, you know, drop yeah. us a line. Yes, invite us. We'd love to yep. take notes. Mm-hmm. Yep, we want to. We want to hear everything. Oh. So, um, is that, is that it for part one? All right. So I'm going to take us into, uh, we're going to take us into the tale of the Cape and Sea Serpent. Ooh. You know. Sounds like Nessie's got a cousin and it ain't Champ because that's in Vermont. We'll get oh, to that this later. definitely ain't no Champ. This is in the other Cape. Oh. <laughs> as we like to call it. This is, uh, you know, and there's uh, 
been sightings of this also in Gloucester Harbor. Um, but the earliest uh, uh, recorded sighting of the sea serpent was Cape Ann in 1639. Um, and apparently <laughs> laid coiled up like a cable upon a rock at Cape Ann and uh, both uh, a boat was passing by that had two English on board with two Indians, and they shot at the serpent, supposedly. But um, so yeah, this, this is so it's technically more of like a actual serpent. It's not like a magical Leoplerodon yes. or whatever. Um, it's you know what I mean. More of like a this snake. is more of like a snake. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um. The way they've depicted it, though, um, a lot of the images of it kind of reminds me almost like a Chinese dragon. Yeah. With the way that they do, like, the way that they depict the spine and everything, mm -hmm. but it just doesn't have the legs. Okay. Okay. That makes okay, sense. Okay. So that's, a, so it's more like a snake. Um in 1817, a uh, lot more reports spread throughout the whole New England area of the sea serpent was being spotted in uh, Gloucester Harbor. Um, the Linnean uh, Society of New England collected evidence and published a pamphlet in which announced the discovery of an entirely new uh, genus, the Scolifilus uh, atlanticus. Yeah, <clears throat> that's what they were calling it. Um, some some of them have said that like they've um, that it was like an actual creature, that okay. it was like a um, it was a, actually it was like a part of like the species of like a black racer, but it had tumors. Um, it's been described like uh, that's what some people have said. There was a reasonable explanation. For the sightings of this creature, and that's probably what it could have possibly quite been. Yeah. But, you know, it's fishtails, man. Absolutely. Like, <laughs> I mean, yeah. You like, know, the, well, you, you're hearing all these tales from all these people that have been out I at mean, sea. To and be fair, these, like you said, there are these tales that are out at, for people that, you know, are out at sea. But they're fishermen tales. Fishermen tell tales. They tell stories about, you know, sea serpents and other things, especially where this is, you know, in a fishing community. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So it's like, you know, it could have just been them getting spinning yeah, sea like dementia, you know. <laughs> um and, you know, you never can really tell. You know, they say that the creature was up to 60 to 70 feet long. <laughs> and that its head, which was always above water, threw out 12 inches in height and 6 inches in circumference at the base. Wow. It moved rapidly in serpentine fashion and was very agile and no one had been able to kill it. Wow. Interesting. Well, mm -hmm. what I found interesting is, I'm not sure if you found this in your research, Rachel, but apparently, like, when uh, when they first saw, saw the creature, you know, when it took place in the 1600s, 
that they said like it made like this kind of weird weirdish sound and um, it, it just sounded just so I'm trying to think of the word it was just like it was like sort of like inhuman just like echolocation yeah like echolocation like, and then <laughs> yeah like, <laughs> And so, like, you know, they said, like, as they got closer, like, you know, it, it kind of became more, um, <laughs> anyway, so they get closer, and it, it sound, the sound becomes clearer, and then it says, I want about 350, and then you realize the sound it was oh, just it somebody was just sucking lot. the devil's dick. That's all it was. I don't know. It's monster. I don't think that's where she was going with that. That was <laughs> just it was just a devil getting a blow job, like. Well, speaking of the devil and his dick, not not his dick. Oh, we're not talking about the devil's dick. But I think that this at least deserves an honorable mention since we're talking about Massachusetts. How can we not at least mention the Salem witch trials? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I feel like I feel obviously, like I mean, yes, I definitely feel like there's a lot that goes into it. So I'm just going to kind of glaze over the Salem yes. witch trials. I'm just just going to um, talk about them a little bit, you know. Right. You a little preview. Right, exactly. Our so, sacred sisters. <laughs> um, pretty much the Salem witch trials began during the spring of 1692 after a group of young girls in Salem Village, Massachusetts, claimed to be possessed by the devil and accused several local women of witchcraft. A wave of hysteria spread through the col- uh, colonial Massachusetts after a special court coven covenant in Salem. Uh, to hear the cases, the first convicted witch, Bridget Bishop, was hanged in June. Eighteen other followed Bishop to Salem's Gallows Hill, while some 150 more men, women, and children were accused over the next several months. By September 1692, the hysterica, uh, hysteri- uh, hysteria had begun uh, abate and public opinion turned against the trials though the massachusetts general court annulled guilty verdicts against accused witches and granted um indemnities to their family bitterness lingered in the community and the painful legacy of salem witch trials um is you know remembered for centuries and obviously if you go to salem you know they have all kinds of cool stuff there mm-hmm. for you to do Absolutely. you know they have a bunch of local shops if you like shopping they have the graveyard where the actual um people you know are buried and also if you walk up yeah. to the top of the hill where this happened um a couple of you, the homes are still remaining yeah they still have the some of the homes there and then if you like you know spooky stuff they have the hocus pocus house there's all kinds of cool stuff that you can check out it's definitely a worthwhile trip yeah um but i highly recommend never going there around (laughs) yes halloween (laughs) i was there the day before halloween and it was freaking madness it was like almost like just people to people you could barely move right uh yeah it is quite uh you know crazy once it gets into that time but so a lot of people well not a lot of people but to like the scientific explanation of how these people were 
bewitched um, in 1692 was uh, si- published in Science Magazine in 1976, cited the fungus egot found in rye, wheat, and other cereals, which toxicologists say cause symptoms such as delusions, vomiting, and muscle spasms. Um, but realistically, um, they just think that it was these girls that figured out that they could manipulate everybody by lying and saying that they saw these people that were witches and people would believe them. And then their families ended up, you know, taking lands and other things from these people. So, you know, maybe there is a curse. Who knows? You never know. I mean, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, hey, you know. I, I mean, mean, seriously, though, right? Girls got to do what a girl's got to do, right? Absolutely. Right. <laughs> um, what, where are we going next, V? Uh, well, I was going to talk about um, uh, Great Court Castle. Okay, cool. Um which is um, located in Methuen. Okay. All right. Um, It's a mansion. It was was the property of Charles H. Tenney um, that was built in the 1890s by Charles. Um, And it's got, it also goes by... um, some people know it as Great Court. Some know it as Tinney Castle. Um, and, you know, I personally have known it as Great Court Castle. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know it as Tinley Castle. You can actually yeah. get married there. Yeah, yeah. It's a massive mansion um, that was designed specifically to look more like a European palace than a private home. Um. And there's a legend that there is a hidden treasure on the property grounds. Yes. But that actually came from two brothers who also there is uh, quite an interesting tale about these two men because they say that they also were not really ever really related. Um, oh. Yes. Um, but Nathaniel and Mark Gorrell, um who lived with their parents nearby. Um, So it's like, yeah, there's also been some reports that these two actually were really not brothers, that they were so, such good friends that they were like brothers. Um, But um, the tale, basically, behind it, this history um, and with the treasure and everything, it's really because uh, a feud between the two men because they fell in love with the same woman. Oh, okay. And uh, both of them basically just made that very difficult for either one of them. So the woman ended up rejecting both of them because it was tearing their friendship apart And, um, in the end, the two blamed each other for, um, for the loss of that said woman, you know, um, but they continued to live in the same house, but they never spoke to each other again. And, um, the, each of them, 
in the middle of the night um, as a way to, like, to be petty. These two were both being so petty to each other that in the middle of the night, they would steal from each other's families and their fortunes, and they would bury them in indisclosed places throughout the whole entire property. They would, like, steal things that were very important and very, uh, like, you know, parts of their income were being dispersed throughout the lands on the property. Um... You know, after after both of the brothers died in the nineteen in the early nineteen hundreds, um, a Methuen local claimed to have had a dream that revealed the location of buried treasure. Um, according to according to some accounts, um, he dug in the basement of the castle and found twenty thousand uh, dollars worth in bonds. Interesting. But also, there are several other people that say he never really found the treasure that is is really scattered throughout the whole entire property. Right. Well, because that's obviously the mm-hmm. lore is that they buried it all over this property. So if he just found, you know, $20,000 in the basement, then obviously that's not all mm-hmm. of, you know, the treasure. But... <clears throat> A lot of the things that correspond with that, some people believe that the reason why nobody has ever found it is because it's the spirits of these brothers that still lives on the grounds. And it's like they're still manipulating each other in the way that they were while they were alive in spirit and they're still hiding everything. Mm-hmm. So they're making it so that nobody can ever find it. Um, it's actually the, um, like the Tenney estate is a public park now. So it is up to the uh, public and lots of people have gone, uh, lots of like several of uh, paranormal experts and ghost hunters you know, also have made several claims that the Goral brothers are definitely still there. Um, and they are there in order to protect their hidden riches because they are the only ones that actually know where anybody put anything. Right. Well, which, I mean, obviously makes sense because if they were the ones that were hiding it, they would be the only ones that knew where it was. Yeah. Um, of course, they say that there is no evidence that the guys actually did bury anything there. Um, but <clears throat> the tale has always gone that they scattered it throughout the whole entire land. Um, Interesting. But they also, like, uh, one thing I do want to mention, because in a lot of my research while I was going over this... Um, they do not condone any digging for buried treasure or trespassing in the private areas of the Great Court State Park. Yes. Okay. Um, which is 37 Pleasant Street, Methuen, Mass, uh, 01844, in case anybody was looking to ever go there. Please feel free to go and check it out. 
Um, just don't dig on the property. Just don't dig on the property. Like, you know, just, just don't do it. Because, I mean, who knows? And if you ask me personally, I think it's more in the castle. If they did anything like that, it's like they probably put it like somewhere within the castle. I mean, like I've been to this place and this place is huge. So it's like, you know, they could have even done it right outside. You know, and nobody's really ever going to figure it out because of like whichever way they did it, you know, underneath. Right. Yeah. That's what I'm, that's what I'm thinking. Like treasure. Especially with, like, a bunch of, like, things that I was reading up. I mean, it's like, you know, these guys, it sounds like, you know, these guys were really good friends, you know. Um, They were really good friends, yeah, and then they fell in love with with the same woman. They were like, no, I'm better for her than you. Like, you don't deserve to have her, but I want her. I deserve her more, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Um, you know, they said, um, that like in 2005, though, somebody does believe that they found, um, something that matched the girl legends. Oh, um, very interesting. Yeah, and then, like, and uh, there was also a couple of men that were charged with stealing antique money that was found on the farm. Mm, even more interesting. Yeah. And so the story continues to thicken. Yeah. But, you know, they've never been... They've never been able to really confirm anything because they also tried to say that it's quite possible that the things that people are finding are from other areas um, that are surrounding the property. And, you know, it's like if people are finding things around it that, like, maybe the brothers didn't even put it on the grounds but put it outside on the edges of their properties so you never know that's true yeah very interesting but yeah that is um great core castle you know or the tenny gatehouse yeah whatever people want to call it you know, um, it has multiple names. It does. <laughs> it um, does. And I think as a perfect way to end being in Massachusetts, why not us start or we started in North Adams. Let's finish in North Adams. Well, I don't actually know if it was North. No, it was North Adams. Um, <laughs> so we're going to talk about the Houghton Mansion. Um, so this home was formerly the home of the first mayor, Albert Charles Houghton, and his family, um, and it was later used as a Masonic temple, um, and it now sits empty, 
It's been featured on um, various ghost hunting shows, ghost hunters, ghost adventures, um, haunted case files, etc. Um, so there was, let's see. So yeah, the um, first mayor of North Adams built this and then it was turned into the Masonic temples in the 1890s, shortly before his term as mayor expired. It was his third home in North Adams and the most extravagant, reflecting his wealth and status. Um, so they got into a like a car accident where pretty much everybody ex- in the family mm-hmm. dies except for the two daughters. So following the crash, um, the two daughters move into the house, um, one with her husband and, um, they stayed in the home and till, um, they ended up passing away actually in the home. And then, um, it like sat abandoned for a while, but there's like a dark presence that a lot of people say um, looms over there and it's definitely um, you know something interesting interesting obviously where you know half this family all of a sudden just died mm-hmm. mm. suspect We're going to stop there for um, this episode. And then the next episode is going to be strictly about the Bridgewater Triangle because I feel like that deserved its own full episode. Yes. So much craziness that's going on with the Bridgewater Triangle. Obviously, um, yeah, there's a lot of um, I was just listening to an art, uh, an interview with Lauren Coleman. And he was talking about how in the last couple of months that he's been approached by three different people talking about or asking him to do some uh, work with them on the Bridgewater Triangle. Mm. So who knows? So maybe there's going to be some more wow. um, like documentaries that are coming out, um, et cetera. Maybe something um, to do with uh American horror story. That's mm-hmm. a theory that I've also mm-hmm. heard. Oh my gosh, that'd be amazing. Um, oh, that would be so great. Because they're doing kind of like an urban legend theme this year or something like that. Because apparently they are going to be filming in Cape Cod, so. <gasps> oh my gosh. Oh so my God. <laughs> Is still part of the cast? I don't know, maybe. Well, but from us to you, we hope that you guys are staying safe. Yes. And yep. continue and I, we hope that we are providing you with some good entertainment. Yeah, something yeah. to get your mind off of uh, your, your selfish needs because people oh, sometimes have worse lives than you because they get mar- murdered by their whole entire family. But yes. moving forward, <laughs> be thankful for the little things. Yes. yes. And you know, stay weird. But more importantly, I hope that you enjoyed this journey yes. through Massachusetts with us. Yeah. And we're excited to talk about the Bridgewater Triangle with you on the next episode. And if you have any suggestions, 
shoot us an email, threegirls1cape at gmail.com, spelled out, obviously, because um, I couldn't make it simple. And check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and MySpace, Anchor, MySpace, <laughs> Anchor. We have a yeah. fans only. Just kidding. We don't have a fans only. Um, well, I might not yet. Start I mean, just me you know. watering my plants. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have an only page. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but thanks for joining us, and you know, we hope you could handle the truth. Yeah. Stay weird. Till next time. Mm-hmm. Chicka, chicka, yeah. <laughs> yeah.